Hey, my name is Joe Daly. I get the privilege to serve on the community team here at Watermark. Uh, and this is my good friend, Ethan Pope. And uh, we're excited to spend the next 40, 45 minutes, an hour with y'all. And uh, just, I guess, to make sure this is, uh, yeah, we can get the slides up there. This is uh, Financial Woes and Biblical Wisdom. So if you're looking for another one, uh, now would be the least awkward time to get up and leave. But if you wait a few minutes, it's only going to get worse. So, yeah, we're really excited to, uh, to spend these next uh, this time with you, and uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. We'll get them on. Well, Father, thank you so much for uh, another day. Thank you for, uh, thank you for the, the gift and the tool of money. Uh, you, uh, your word has a lot to say about it, and uh, we hope and pray that today uh, is a step towards faithfully teaching what it does have to say, uh, knowing that there's a, a lot of different circumstances and variables in, in life in a fallen world, but you loved us enough to to equip us and to teach us and to, to leave us with, with hope and uh, wisdom principles we can apply to our life as, um, as, as just life hits us. And so thank you so much for my friend Ethan and uh, the decades of experience and wisdom you've given him as he spent time with your word and counseling and teaching and equipping others. Um, we love you and we can't wait to see uh, how you're going to use this time, not just today, but in the days, weeks, months, and, and years to come, just the stories that would we pray follow as a result of our time together today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here with my buddy Joe and to uh, spend this time with him. Looking forward to our time together. So welcome to Financial Woes and Biblical Wisdom. Uh, like Joe said, my name's Ethan Pope, and as a volunteer, I have the honor of directing the Money Wise Ministry uh, here at Watermark. So uh, great, great to be here. Now we're going to begin our time with a little uh, theological look at the movie Rocky One, okay? So don't take this too serious, okay? But we're gonna kinda dig in, little look at Rocky One. I wanna give you a heads up. It's only 30 seconds long. So at the 15 second mark, I want you to listen for Rocky's community cheering him on, all right? So let's watch a little bit of Rocky here. So why, why do we play that? There's really three, three main points that we want to emphasize, a little rocky theology here. Three main points is, is, that, is that when you're in a financial crisis, it many times feels like you're taking a hit to the stomach or a hit in the face, and, and it hurts, just like rocky. The second thing is that we really all need community cheering us on when we might be in the middle of just this fight that we're in the middle of. And then the third thing is, is that when we get knocked down, just like Rocky, we always get back up. Proverbs 24, 16, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And so uh, just little, little points we want to bring out. But so hold all the emails to Joe, okay? about us trying to compare those, but uh, I wanted to show you that. So our plan for our time is about 30 minutes of teaching, and then we hope to have 15, 20 minutes of just Q&A time to answer your questions. 
I also want to answer the question, you know, who's the training for today? And it's for two groups of people. It's for anyone that's, that's in the middle of a financial woe and just in a, in a potential crisis, or for anyone who wants to come alongside someone uh, with a financial woe. Now, I've been involved in financial ministry for uh, over 30 years. And during my early years of ministry, 30 years ago, I developed a, a philosophy of ministry that has served me well and serves well within a financial ministry. And it goes like this, is that truth communicated over time with application and accountability equals a changed life. Let's look at just those words just quickly, each one at a time. So the truth, just biblical truth, practical truth, communicated verbally or printed over time. Extended time is always better. In other words, uh, one hour is, is not as good as spending six months with someone over time, with application, giving them something to be working on, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit helping them, and accountability, that's where shepherding comes in, holding someone accountable, equals a changed life. So these principles can apply, this philosophy can, can apply as we're dealing with someone in a crisis. Now, over the years, I've learned many lessons, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight two primary lessons today uh, about what I've learned over the past 30 years. The first one is, is that when, is that finances are really not that complicated. Finances are really not that complicated. And when some people begin to think about finances, all of a sudden it's like, a switch flips and the lights go out. Or when they are thinking about finances, chaos just tends to enter their brain and all of a sudden, this is what they see. <laughs> just chaos, all this confusion going on. But really, I promise you, finances are not that complicated. It's really simple. We've got to move beyond this switching when something happens and all those things taking place. So it's very simple. We're going to start with just the biblical foundation, and that's extremely simple. First point is acknowledge God owns it all. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It's 100% God's. And because of that, point number two is that we're stewards. We're overseers, managers of possessions that belong to someone else. And then if the first two are in place, the third principle is, hey, we live with an eternal perspective. Uh, Colossians 3.2 says to set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on earth. So really the simplicity of the biblical foundation is real easy. Just remember those three points. You move into the practical aspect and the simplicity goes like this. The very first principle in keeping finances simple is spend less 
than you earn. Now, that's really simple. Sometimes hard to pull off, but you have to see the simplicity of how you view finances, which allows you, if you spend less than you earn, it allows you to then be generous in your giving and allows you to be consistent in your saving. And then the fourth point is, well, how do we accomplish the above? You live on a budget. Sometimes we call it a spending plan. Some people don't like the word budget, but you live on a spending plan. Isn't budget a swear word for a lot of people? Budget is a word that a lot of people brings up negative thoughts, bondage, frustration, confinement, you know, all those things. But the key is you live on a budget, and here's, here's the important part. Money shows up in your checking account, and before this money shows up, you need to give every dollar a destination. So before the money shows up, you've already planned out, when it does show up, so many dollars are going to giving, so many are in saving, so many is for food and transportation and housing. So one of the key points in making this thing simple is that before the money shows up, you give every dollar a destination. Now the second lesson that I've learned over the last 30 years and I have sat across, I get a little emotional about this. I've sat across the table from a lot of singles and married couples with tears streaming down their eyes in a financial crisis and a high level of stress. And I've learned a lesson. Is that when I, when I dig into it, 95% of the time, the financial problems can be traced back to one thing. One thing. They never took the time to create and to put together a budget or a spending plan. Now, I'm going to repeat that. Catch what I said. 30 years of experience sitting across from people 95% of the time. So there's a few exceptions. But 95% of the time, you can trace back the crisis they're in right now back to the fact they never took the time to create a spending plan and then actually use it. So, what's the game plan? How can I turn this situation around if it's me personally or if I'm trying to come alongside someone? Point number one, begin with a biblical Begin with biblical foundational truth. If you find yourself in the situation or trying to help someone, I always like to refer to Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Of course, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus had many things to say in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talked about giving. Jesus talked about your treasures on earth and heaven. Jesus talked about serving two masters. Jesus talked about being anxious about life and what we wear and what we eat. And then at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the very, at the very end, he says this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice may be compared to the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they burst against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. 
Yet, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice may be compared to the fool that built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they burst against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So I want to look at a couple observation points from that, that little passage there. What is true about both men in this passage? The first thing is, is that they heard, they both heard the words of Jesus. And the second thing is true about both men, that the rain, the floods, and the wind burst against the house. So here's one of the observations. You can, you can read your Bible, you can hear the words, you can be applying the principles, you can be walking with Christ, and you can be the wise man, but the rain and the flood and the, and the winds can still burst against your house. Now here's the observation too, is that some financial woes are the consequences of not making wise decisions. Example, some people will purchase a house or a car they really cannot afford. They're not living on a spending plan. They've abused uh, credit cards and loans. They've made a bad investment decision. They maybe are stealing from their employer. They get caught and they get fired from their job. But some financial woes might not be the consequences of anything you did or did not do. We have to understand that. Looking at that, at that, even that passage. Medical issues. We just heard Brett and his wife talk about that. Maybe your car is hit by a drunk driver. Maybe the company you're faithfully working for as an employee goes out of business. You lose your job. Or maybe you're falsely accused of something that you did not do. But here's the key. No matter how you or your friend got into the situation, you need a game plan. And so we asked the question, following up, what's the game plan? The first point was, have that biblical foundation. The second point is, is that you need to evaluate the situation. In other words, what, what level of care is needed? And I'm going to use the illustration of a, of a cough, all right? Is it minor? And will simply a cough drop solve the problem? Or is it a little more intense? I need professional help. So maybe I need to go to urgent care and get a prescription. Or as I analyze it, is it critical? Need to be in the hospital in the intensive care unit. So now here's the key tool in making this analysis. Remember I said, point number two, evaluate the situation. So here's the key tool. I've been using this for 30 years. Just a financial checkup. Think about medical checkup. Think about a financial checkup. What does it look like? Hey, listen, once again, this is simple stuff, okay? This is not complicated. What do we do? The first thing I always do, always do, it begins with the story. I always say and ask them, tell me your story. Tell me about your journey. And we, have to, re, we have, have to remember that we don't begin with a calculator and budgets and spreadsheets. We begin with, tell me your story. 
and you listen, and you learn, and you take notes. And that journey will plot its way out, and you'll understand more about them. So the second thing you do is once you get beyond the story, look at their income. What's the past? What's the current? How does the, how does the future of it look? Try to analyze that. Then you move from income to point three, expenses. Look at the past. Look at the present. Try to project the future. And even though this might sound a little strange, it's easier to manage and deal with expenses because you can control those as it is to maybe deal with income. Most people, income's kind of in there. You can get another job. You can raise it. It can decrease. But, but you kind of focus on what we can most control, and that is expenses. The fourth thing, look at their asset, assets and the checkup. What do they own? Do they have something that can be sold to help out in this situation? Look at liabilities. What do they owe? What are the debts? And then the sixth thing is you kind of, and it's different from the first point. The sixth thing is it's habits and patterns. In other words, are they saving too little? Are they giving nothing? If they are, they're not living in God's economy. They're living outside of God's economy if they're not giving. Uh, what about, are they addicted to buying things? Is there a lack of oneness in marriage? So you just kind of look at those. So those, so those are the six different ingredients to, to giving yourself or someone a financial checkup. Ethan, can I just add a point on that? Just a, just a reminder of one of the things Ethan started with is just, this is going to take time. Uh, you might be able to get through all six of those in you know, a meeting, if you will. But man, all of this takes time. And uh, just a, a phrase we use around here as a, a truism, not a, a truth from the Lord, is you know, someone else's emergency isn't your emergency, or even your own emergency isn't your emergency. And just this idea that oftentimes in life, we, uh, we get to places over a, a decent period of time, and it's going to take that, that same amount of time or more to get out of it. And, and that's, that's you know, the, the 95%, if you will, that Ethan was alluding to. At the end of the day, this is life in a fallen world. I mean, bad stuff happens. And so there are going to be times where it's a, it's a true emergency, where it just blindsides you. And, and man, God, God's a God who provides. And so uh, God, God is going to love us and meet us wherever we're at. But, but oftentimes, uh, in, in these situations, in these crisis, uh, crises, it, it's going to take longer than we're, we're going to want. And so, man, start with these six. But, I mean, Ethan, if you had to guess, I'm, I don't know if you could put a number to it even, but how, how long is a, a, a typical kind of financial checkup, if you will? Is that a, a day? Is that weeks? Is that months? Kind of what, what does that look if like you're, practically? If you're meeting folks? with someone and kind of preparing them, you know, they should hopefully could come with information and you can do this within a short period of time, within, within one meeting, but they have to be prepared. And so, and the story might take longer. I mean, I, I've sat with people for an hour listening to the story. That is so important. And then you get into the, so it, it just depends on how prepared and how much information they can have. But here's what we need, we must understand is that the outward behavior in most cases, not all, the outward behavior is merely a symptom of a deeper problem. We cannot overlook that truth. What do I mean by that? Uh, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this too, is that uh, on this palm, uh, comment I mentioned earlier, but throwing a budget at someone who maybe is in a debt crisis, throwing a budget at them and telling them to figure it out, figure it out, 
and use it as the initial, it's not the initial starting point, okay? You just don't throw a budget at someone. You have to, you have to address what is the deeper problem uh, in this issue. So just some things real quick we're gonna cover, just some examples. So uh, things you might discover in a checkup, you might discover that when listening to the story, the journey might find the husband or wife has a pattern of excessive uh, purchasing habits. So where do we start? Where do we start? We don't throw the budget at them and have accountability. We start at root problem versus outward behavior. Drill deep to try to find out why is that pattern established? What's creating and causing that? And that's where we start. What's the root problem? Hey, my buddy Joe and I, we love budgets, all right? But that's not where we start. And we're going to eventually end up there at some point, but that's not where we start. So the solution is, once you kind of get beyond the root problem, is the solution is, well, you do put them on a spending plan. You do have accountability. That's part of the solution. Another example would be credit card balances are trending up or they're, they're, they're huge credit debt. Start with the root problem, the inward not the external. And then once you deal with that, the solution is, well, maybe you'll recommend we cut up credit cards and we develop a spending plan. What if housing is costing over 50%? That's, and that's, that's from analysis of income expenses. That's just not sustainable long-term for anyone, single or couple, to be putting more than 50% into a housing category. And so if that's the case, we need to, what's the root problem versus the outward behavior? Why, why are they living in a house or an apartment that they cannot afford? What is the issue? Is it, is it pride? Is it jealousy? Is it image? Is it poor self-esteem? Is it baggage from growing up? There are some issues that are going on there that would want them to do that that need to be dealt with before the solution is you need to find less expensive housing, which is the solution too. So root cause. Uh, expenses exceed income. Another example, root problem. Look at that. Uh, token or zero giving. Uh, why, why are they not giving? And what's the root problem? Giving is not a mathematical issue. Giving is an issue of the heart. We've got to go to the root problem, why they don't want to give, why they're not giving. And so we'll deal with that. So, so back to the game plan. How can I turn this around in my life or those that I'm helping? So we're on point three. The first point was in the game plan, biblical foundation. Second point, evaluate the situation. Your key tool is, is, the, is the financial checkup. Now we're on point number three in the plan. You develop a plan. And the goal in any plan, once again, don't let this become overcomplicated. The goal is to bring simplicity out of chaos. Anyone in a financial crisis, everything is swirling and it's chaos. It really is. It's just chaos. And so you, in your own life, if you're walking, hopefully you got a friend to walk through it, you try to make, bring simplicity out of chaos. So there's four things. Kind of going back to the checkup. How do we get here? What's the story? That's part of the plan. Where are we today? It's kind of the financial checkup. Where do we want to go? I always ask someone, 
Tell us what our destination is. What is going to help you? What is going to set you free? Get it, paying off the credit cards? Solving a housing situation? Where are we headed so we can have a clear destination? What are we aiming toward? That has to be written down. And then the fourth thing is, how are we going to get there? Yeah, one, one other question I really like to ask, not just in finances, but just in all areas of life, but especially finances, what are you willing to do? And just really making sure that, and that's a, a good question to help get at the heart of kind of, it, you know, the, the first one would be a different iteration of um, how do we get here? It's like, hey, do you want to get well? And, uh, and, and again, I, that, I'm not posing that to this room. You're here. You're here on a Saturday morning and said, I want to learn. I want to grow. But just starting, I mean, Jesus, his most frequently asked question in the Gospels was, do you want to, like, what can I do for you? Like, do you even want to get well? And oftentimes in life, even in really sad and hard situations, uh, as Ethan was saying before, if we don't get to the heart of the matter, people might uh, sound like they want to get well, but at the end of the day, they, they don't want to get well. They're just going to keep doing what they've been doing. And they're going to keep, uh, you know, in the, in the category of finances, they're going to keep overspending. They're going to keep charging things to credit cards when they don't have the money. And so they might say, oh yeah, I want to get well. But it's like, man, do, do you really want to get well? Uh, and just asking someone that or asking yourself that. And then two, just that follow-up would be, uh, what are you willing to do? And not in a, like a taunting or a you know better, you know, if you're trying to help the person, but just really trying to see, man, most, most of the time it's going to take them having a, a personal ownership and coming up with the idea or coming up with not the, the, the plan per se. I mean, there's, you know, a guy like Ethan, it's like, I'll take his wisdom of a good plan all day long. But if he's coming alongside me to help me, I need to show some ownership and some like, man, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, whatever, cut next Netflix. I'm willing to move. I'm willing, you know, just saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to do X, Y, Z in order to get better. And just that, that those questions like that, questions in general, they're your friend to help get to the heart of what's really going on. Uh, because again, it's the, the financial part, that's simple, as Ethan was saying. But the hard part is getting to the heart of the matter. It's like, what's really going on in that person's life that's got them where they're at today? Great input. So as we, what makes a plan work? Here's what I've learned over the years. Four keys to making the plan work of turning the situation around. Number one is you consistently maintain a biblical perspective during the process as you're seeking wise counsel. Number two, I've learned over the years, typically, and not all cases, there's some type of uh, debt involved, significant debt in most financial crises. Not all, but in most. So one of the key things to make it work is what using what we call as a debt snowball tool. And... Uh, uh, basically, it's, it's, a, it's a plan where you put in your information, you put in your, you know, your amount you owe, the interest rates, the minimum payments, and then it shows you if you throw in $100 more a month, if you throw in $200 more a month, how many months it's going to knock off and when you're going to become debt-free. And that organizes this paying off this debt. And uh, there's, a, uh, there's a website. I think I'm going to get this right. If you Google Veritex, V-E-R-I-T-E-X, I believe, Veritex uh, Debt Snowball. It'll have a video. It'll have the actual free spreadsheet you can use, and you can put in your data, and, uh, and, and that will help you a lot. The third thing is the key to make the plan work is that you have to have this budget. You have to have a spending plan. And in 30 years of financial ministry, I have never seen anyone recover 
without having a budget in place. I've never seen it. And the fourth point is, is accountability. In 30 years of financial ministry, I have never seen anyone recover without some type of accountability. Someone coming alongside as a shepherd or a friend and holding them accountable to the plan. Three kind of warnings here. Can I say something there real Absolutely. quick? That, so that's why we, we recently made a shift here at Watermarks. So we've had a, we call it Charis, uh, C-H-A-R-I-S, it's a Greek word. Uh, when I first came across it like seven years ago, I'm like, is that a typo? Do we spell that right? And, uh, but Charis, our financial benevolence ministry to help folks in need, uh, Ethan uh, and others have been running it and, and it's been under the equipping team and for a lot of really good reasons. But for the last few years, uh, Ethan's been saying, this should be under the community team. Like this is a community driven process. Like when we help people in financial need, it's in the context of relationships and it's in the context of community, like accountability, God's people uh, doing it together. Every single time Watermark has ever helped people financially, it's in the context of community in relationships. And so that's why as of a couple months ago, uh, it moved under community. And Ethan's like, finally, <laughs> I've been raising my hand humbly saying this, we should have done this a long time ago. And so every single time Watermark has ever been involved in a, in a, a case to help people, it, it's never once been, you know, a blank check or here's some cash. It's always, always, always in the context of other people, in the context of relationships and, and just just one more thing on that. Back in like the first century church, when we read in the book of Acts, you know, they were meeting together, selling their possessions, giving to anyone who was in need. I mean, that would have been in the context of 20, 30 people, maybe 40. I mean, churches back then were this room or smaller in terms of the number of people. And so they, they knew each other. There, there was relationships in place. There wasn't, you know, 10, 20, 15,000 people showing up for an hour once a week. It was just, they were doing life together and they, oh yeah, Bob, of course Bob needs help. His, his farm just burned down. I, I saw it. I walked past it. And just, they knew each other so that they could help each other in the context of relationship. So I'm going to try to save us about 15 minutes for Q&A. That's important for us. So I'm just going to kind of fly through the last three or four slides. You have them in your notes with the exception of one. I had to add this morning. But uh, uh, just be on guard against blaming God. All right, Job is a great example. Uh, Job, uh, Job, in, uh, Job 1, 3, it says, Job was the greatest man in the East, wealthiest man in the East. And we know that God allowed Satan to come in to take all of his possessions, lost his children. And in Job 121 and verse 22, I want to add to this. Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then it says, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In verse 22. Avoid, guard against becoming bitter toward God and others. Not others. I have seen people in the middle of financial crisis that are so bitter that it destroys their life. Don't take that path, bitterness. And I've seen others in the middle of a crisis. Uh, Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit or bitterness dries up the bone. So joyful heart. And then don't play the victim. Own it. Avoid an entitlement mindset. And then just real quick, four areas of recovery. Uh, there's spiritual, there's financial, emotional, and relational. It might begin with confession. Not all of it, as I mentioned back in Matthew 7, not everything is due to something that you have sinned or have done wrong. 
I'm not saying that's all the cases, but if it is, it might begin with confession. 1 John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it might begin with confession. Or maybe the financial aspect is getting on the right path financially, getting that spending plan in place. Uh, emotional, developing the right attitude. I talked about just uh, you know, a joyful heart as opposed to bitterness. And then many times the road to recovery is beginning with forgiving someone else forgiving others, that whole relational dynamic. So these are the four areas, and you can see, real quick here, a couple more slides, you can see two illustrations here, two examples of how this might work out. The one on the left, you or I might need to spend a lot more time on the spiritual root problem of this, and that's going to take the majority of the recovery you know, uh, information and time. And then, once I deal with that, well, then the, the financial part becomes easier, the relational, you know, and just the emotional part. Whereas somebody on the right, they're walking with Christ. They have that aspect together. They're in relationship with Christ. And we need to spend most of the time on the financial plan, the spending plan, the numbers. And that becomes the huge part of the actual recovery process. And we have to spend very little time on, on the spiritual or relational or emotional part. So this can take different forms as, as you actually uh, get involved in the situation. And the final slide, this is not in your notes. So you have to write these down. Then we'll get into the Q&A time. Just real quick, uh, I believe that there are uh, seven stages of recovery, you know, in any recovery-type ministry, there are stages. In the financial one, this is not always true, but typically starts out, not always, with simply deny. I just deny there's a problem. I'm going to ignore it and hope that one day it'll go away. So a lot of the process is deny it. The second step is to acknowledge, I have a problem. We're going to do it, so I acknowledge it. The third thing is, if needed, confession. Might not be needed. But if it is, confession. The fourth thing is, is the account. Kind of the accounting. More of the financial checkup part. I need to get my numbers together. The fifth part is, is simply the plan. I need a plan. The sixth step is, got to apply the plan. I got to put it into practice. I can have the best plan in the world. But if I don't apply it and put it into practice, I'm not going to move to that step. And then finally, the seventh part is simply just accomplishment. Hey, I've gone through the steps, and I've accomplished my goal, and I've recovered, and I've gone through these seven steps. So uh, that's kind of what I've seen over my years of ministry, that how most things work out in the process that most people, most people have to work through. So, so I think we're about at the 14 minutes, so... Joe, you have a comment? We're going to hopefully have some good time for some just Q&A here. Yeah. No, just real, before we do, man, we covered a lot of ground we in did. a very short amount of time. Uh, and again, if, if, if this is your reality right now, man, we're so glad you're here. 
Um, and we're sorry that that's your reality. And just, just remember that today is just the, hopefully the very, very, very beginning of, of, uh, of some time that it's going to take. And so uh, we do everything we can in this Q&A time or afterwards to answer your specific questions and whatnot. But just remember that we, we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time uh, on purpose and just that we're here to serve you moving forward any way we can. So I'll walk around with the mic to make sure we're, we're recording this today. And we'd love to get, get those questions captured. So anyone have any questions they'd like to uh, talk through? Yeah. So repeat it for the recording. So you have a friend or a family member that's uh, basically at step one in the recovery process and denial, and they just really won't acknowledge anything wrong is going on. How do we get past that first step? Great question. So first thing is we have to come back to, okay, there's, there's probably nothing that I can really do to twist their arm or to shame them into doing that. Uh, if they know Christ and are walking with Christ, we fervently pray for them and pray that, that God's spirit will work within their heart and their soul and will bring about the change. So along with that, though, I would say I would not encourage anyone to back away from speaking the truth, to laying it out biblically, common sense, financially. This is what I see. This is where you are. This is where you're headed. And I can promise you, you can say, this will not end well. So speaking the truth is huge, but it really has to be up to them. I have, I have decades of doing this, and I have tried to force people to do things, and, and until they're ready, it's simply not going to work. And that, that's just the truth of it. So. That's it, a thing we say oftentimes, not just in finance, it's just don't work harder than someone else is willing to work. And uh, that, that uh, well, I believe that to be true. That's harder and harder to stomach when it's someone you care about. Um, I've got my sister. Uh, she probably will never listen to this, but if she is, Kelsey, I love you. But man, she is just far from the Lord right now. Not necessarily financially. And it's just like, man, we, we can pray like crazy and speak the truth kindly and humbly and gently in love. But some, sometimes, sadly, uh, in a fallen world, just people need to experience harder consequences and the pain of their choices until they're truly ready to, to, to get well. And just as, as much as you love them, as much as you want better for them, uh, the most loving thing I, I believe the scriptures teach you can do is to let them stay on the path they're on all the while speaking the truth and love. Say, I love you. Please, please stop. I don't think this is going to go well for you. But, uh, but yeah, don't, don't work harder than someone else is willing to work. You're, you're at that point going to be the exasperated one. And your heart can then quickly turn against that person because you'll just get frustrated and discouraged. And, and that's not what God wants for you either. So you just, you can only be faithful. You're gonna, we're all gonna stand before the Lord someday and we get to give an account for the words we said and what we did, not what someone did with those words and what they did with those truths. God's just gonna say, hey, did you love your sister well? Like, I, I tried. And, and then she'll get to give an account for, for how she responded to that. So Great, great question. So that's an excellent question, and that, that is huge in a conversation like this. What do we do when somebody's not wanting to go beyond step one? So hopefully that was a little, little bit helpful. Sure. Here, here's the director right here. <laughs> so explaining how the Karis ministry here at Watermark works. And so uh, Karis is uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest and arguably most important step for Karis is member versus non-member. That's the very first thing is just saying, well, we love everyone and we love everyone who comes to Watermark and I mean, room this size, I'm sure some of y'all don't come here. We're so glad you're here. But just in an attempt to say, uh, and the scriptures say, hey, we're going to give an account for those that have kind of raised their hand, if you'll say, hey, I want to belong to this local church. I, I want to be a member here. 
here. I, I want to belong here. I want to be shepherded here. And so that's the first and the, the, really the most important distinguishing factors, those who are members or non-members. If they're a non-member, we've got a lot of awesome ministry partners that we, we partner with that provide uh, food, shelter, clothing, things like that. And, and we'll still meet with you and help you, you know, come up with a plan, if you will. But in terms of actually providing support, um, after that, it all goes through the community group. And so there's a, we've got you know, specialized volunteers that serve with Karis that are financial gurus. Uh, and more importantly, they love people. And so we are, we're solution-oriented. We're always trying to figure out, hey, how can, we, how can we cut expenses? How can we increase income? How can we develop a really good plan uh, to walk alongside someone? But, but it's done in the context of community. So there's multiple meetings. Uh, full financial transparency is... is um, required. It's not just ask. It's required. We say, hey, if, just like when you go to the doctor, uh, the doctor, in order to give you a good prescription, needs you to be honest and needs you to share everything. And, and we, we have that same posture. So Kind of think financial checkup. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so we walk through, we really walk through a lot of what Ethan shared this morning. And it's, uh, you know, I'd say at, at quickest, it's a couple week process. Um, sometimes it's months, but, but just saying that, man, we're going to walk alongside you. And then I'd say the, the last thing to say it shortly is just that, uh, Anytime we do provide support, the council is unanimous. Everyone who's involved is on board saying, hey, we're, we think this is what wisdom would have us do. And so there's, there's a lot of steps I didn't include of just how we ask the community group to financially help that person. We'll, we'll reallocate resources, do everything we can to come up with solutions to help. But, um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we've been humbled and, and just really privileged to see God's people show up in some crazy ways. Uh, just that God, God's a God who provides. You know, he, he, he promises that. If, if he's going to call us to do something, uh, he, he has to provide. That's just his character. Now, now his provision doesn't always look the way we may want it to, uh, but he, he has and will and continues to provide. And so, so yeah, it's a, it's a process. Community is involved the entire way. And, um, and yeah, we really live out a lot of the things we talked about today. So the question is, in the uh, four areas of, re of, of the recovery, do, do you always begin with the spiritual, even if they're not a believer? Correct? Okay, so I would say this, and that's, that's, <laughs> these are great questions, is that I always want to begin with the spiritual, even if I know that they're not a follower of Christ, because that is one of the most important things that I, I think that I, if I could bring them to the point of relationship with Christ, I have accomplished much. And so uh, that spiritual foundation is important. Now, they're either going to receive the good news, the gospel, or they're going to maybe reject it or just postpone it. Once again, I can't control that. I can control what I communicate to them. And so Part of this whole conversation, you know, there are people possibly in this room or you're going to come across that don't know Christ. And so if you're not familiar with this, uh, this verse, I encourage you to write this down and use it. What is the gospel message? Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a great place to start. And Ephesians 2, 8 uh, uh, just says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. And so just laying out, God is offering us a free gift. And if we receive it, place our trust in him, can't work our way to heaven, can't earn our way to heaven, 
So I would start out with just sharing the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to answer your question is that if they come to Christ, great. They're going to have a, you know, a, a better foundation. I can't remember if I shared this earlier or not, but I'm going to say it again. It's so important. <laughs> that foundation, it's time for uh, believers, and especially if it's not believer, to stop building our lives our houses, our marriages, our financial houses on the shifting sands and the unbiblical philosophy of the world. That's true for believers need to stop doing that, but also we need to tell those that don't know Christ, hey, read Matthew 7, 24 through 27 and say, you're on the shifting sands, brother. And when the rains keep coming, the house is going to fall and great is going to be its fall. So, yes, I would say start with the spiritual, see where that goes. If they don't buy in, can't change that, go ahead and go through the rest of the process, uh, you know, of just the practical things that we deal with. If I'm understanding you, there is, in a sense, separation, you know, husband and wife. There's financial separation. And what you're saying is long-term Hopefully the prayer and the goal is, is reconciliation. So that's always our prayer and our goal is, is you know, reconciling so that two are, that are living apart are now living together. Finances are not in separate checking accounts, but they're one. You know, the two become one, not only physically, but also financially. So the prayer is, Lord, reconcile this marriage. But if it's not reconciling and, and the husband or wife is just living their own, going their own path, as a spouse, sure, uh, the best is unity. But when there's someone doing their own thing outside of God's will, there are some things that we can do, sure, to, to protect ourselves as, as the spouse. And so for a period of time, we're not hoping long-term, but sure, a, per, a spouse can have a separate checking account uh, uh, just, to, just so the person who's maybe foolish, if they have access to person's trading account, they can drain it all out, okay? We don't want that to happen. So there are some things that we can do like a separate checking account uh, just to protect. And I don't see, we want reconciliation, but I don't see anything wrong with some protections in place. Yeah, we, uh, even on a, um, I mean, just recently, there's a, a pastoral situation going on right now where there's um, a, the the well-being of a child is at risk. And we're like, man, we hate that. And uh, there's times where we'll even um, counsel f- folks to take legal action for the purpose of safety and for the purpose of like stopping abuse or stopping harm all the while for the ultimate purpose of reconciliation and unity and whatnot. And so I think if, if uh, more than anything else, I'd probably say do it in the context of community. Just in, and for those of you who don't go here, anytime I say community, it just means with other people. Just knowing that there will be other men, other women who, like, dude, you're not crazy. Yeah, I would absolutely get a second, uh, separate account. Or, man, you know what, let, let's wait a little bit. And just having other people, there's, just, there's power knowing that when you stand before the Lord someday for different decisions you make, you've got other men and women and other Christians by your sides. Like, yes, we, we agreed in unison. That was a good idea. That was a wise choice to make. And so, again, that, that's what I love about this place is we'll always widen the circle as wide as we need to to involve whatever people we need to get in that circle to help make wise decisions or to help protect those who need protection. And so just, just not doing it alone would be one of the main things I'd say. And, and again, we're, we're here to help in any way we can uh, if, if that is your story right now. So, 
I'll just add one thing to that. This kind of already been said, but for a season, it might be important to protect. You know, there's, 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 there's to protect in many ways. And so that season is acceptable. It's, it's in many cases wise. But even in that season, we're always praying and hoping toward and moving toward this person who is on their own out here, outside of God's will, that we'll, they'll come back around and we'll be unified. But during the season, have protection.